Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Paul. And I'm Rad, and welcome to Game for Anything, the podcast where we are disgustingly down for whatever comes around. Today's episode, Rad stands up against sitting down with the Omni Desk, and I look at Alan Wake 2 2. We certainly have opinions, and I've got opinions about our theme music, Paul. Uh, you actually organised for someone a little bit special to write it for us. Yes, so Grammy-nominated composer Austin Wintory said yes to doing a bit of a theme song for us, so we really did bury the lead, didn't we? I mean, it's it's kind of a big deal, and I think he's done a great job, and Austin's an absolute champ. Isn't he like... The only person who has been nominated for a video, like Grammy nominated for a video game soundtrack. I actually don't know. I didn't think he'd say yes, but he just kind of noodled this thing out for us and sent it across and God bless him. So Austin, thank you so much for coming up with a theme song for Game for Anything. One thing he hasn't worked on though is Alan Wake 2, which Paul is reviewing today. Wow. Okay. It's not- (laughs) Look, some segues are smoother than others, but they are all God's children. You know what? It's a bit of a bumpy ride for old Alan Wake as well. <laughs> Things aren't going smooth for him in the dark place. A couple of episodes ago, we chatted with the developers of Alan Wake 2, and I went away and promised that I would actually play the whole game and review it. And Rad, what would you regard as a reasonable bedtime for your good self? 11 p.m. Last night, I finished the game at about 1.50 in the morning, which is... Yeah. How are you feeling today? Not great. A little bit dusty. And for a survival horror <laughs> game, it was not a, it was not smooth sailing afterwards. So the game gets progressively scarier and louder. And I was sitting in here just like flinching at shadows. But it's a really great game. Now, I don't like giving thumbs up or thumbs down. I don't like giving uh, percentages or star ratings or whatever. So I, instead, I'm just going to tell you what I thought of the game as a whole. We were just talking about Austin Wintory's wonderful music for Game for Anything. So I I just wanted to quickly start with the soundtrack for Alan Wake 2. So the game is divided into chapters that are kind of structured like episodes of a TV show. And when you finish a chapter, it goes chung and then goes to a credit sequence. Oh. Yeah, like a little title sequence, right? So at the end of every credit sequence, they have gotten an original track. So they've done an artistic collaboration with the creative team and with a record label called Fried Music. And they've actually collaborated with a bunch of leading producers and artists and Finnish kind of musicians. So you get a a standalone original soundtrack and you get to hear a new song at the end of each chapter. And each song is thematically relevant to the plot to the point where you will miss bits of the story if you don't sit there and actually listen. How cool is that? That is really cool. I don't think I've ever heard of a game doing something like that. And when you said you wanted to talk about the Alan Wake soundtrack, Mm. I was thinking like, I don't see how this game could necessarily like could necessarily have a huge soundtrack because it sounds like the type of game that wants to be atmospheric. It doesn't want to let music get in the way 
of that sort of ambience and silence that makes something scary. Having said this, I've not played Alan Wake, but that's that's clever. That's unexpected. I like that. It's so cool. I mean, of course, there is like a spooky, spooky soundtrack. There is a score and it's all very droning and screamy and scary. But the original music, and it's interesting because the world of Alan Wake revolves around a dark place where artists have an unusual degree of power. So basically, you if an artist enters this place, the things that they do become real to a degree. And that includes musicians. So having musicians interact in a meta way with the plot is great. But there's also a fictional band in Alan Wake called the Old Gods of Asgard. And it's an actual band. It's an actual Finnish like metal band. And they are in the game as characters. So Wait, sorry. You said that it's fictional, but then you said that it's real. Which is the truth, Paul? It's a little both. That's the problem. So Alan Wake is a really strange thing because Sam Lake, who I chatted with last week, has kind of gone and done this strange thing. Sam is the face of the original Max Payne. So they motion captured Sam's face. And that's Max Payne's iconic face, right? And in Alan Wake 2... He's come in to play a fictional detective called Alex Casey. And Alex Casey looks exactly like Max Payne and talks like Max Payne. And Alex Casey is also playing a character that Alan wrote and doesn't actually like because it was kind of his like sellout period. So the game is full of all these weird interlocking meta versions of things. So the old gods of Asgard are playing a fictional version of the band and in the game, they're playing like old versions of themselves as old men. And you, it's, it's such a mind f**k, honestly. But musically, you are sort of spoiled for choice here. And it's just one of many things that Alan Wake 2 does exceptionally. Wait, I'm not done talking about the music. Are all the tracks, like, different genres? Kind of. There's a bit of shoegaze. There's a bit of pop. It, I'll be honest, because the story is pretty intense and sad at points, the music does get a little bit intense and sad. But... Also, there's a lot of comedy. There is a level in the game that I cannot spoil, which revolves around one song. And the song, there's no delicate way to say this. The song kind of comes to life. It is a interactive album-like experience. And what's really nice about Remedy is that they have such a tight leash on every aspect of the creative control. And now that they have Epic's money, they've just gone, you know what? We might never get to do this again, so let's just blow the doors off. This sounds like a much more kind of artistically rich game than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I thought it was like, like everything I've heard about it is that it's really good, but it is, you know, just about the story and how Mm. the mechanics work. I didn't realize that it had these really kind of forward thinking, interesting ideas in it as well. Yeah. I mean, look, both characters, both uh, our FBI agent Saga and Alan have these sort of liminal spaces. For Alan, it's a writer's room. He's sitting in a writer's room with a big blackboard covered in ideas and post-its. And as he interacts with the environment around him, he gets ideas and he puts them on the board. So let's say you're in the, let's say you're in the lobby of a cinema, right? And the entrance is blocked, but you know that you could write a story in which something very bad happened that would have the uh, the exit not be blocked. So he then like literally writes in some stuff and the game world changes in accordance with what he's written. So he's actually reshaping the world around him by changing the story that he's in. And on Saga's end, she's a detective, so she does profiling. So she'll collect evidence, whack it up on a board, and then kind of go into the heads of people she's talking to. And these shifts are seamless, by the way. There's no loading time. You hit tab on PC and at any point you instantly appear in this magical room where you are kind of the architect of a story. It can be in the middle of a firefight. You can be in the middle of a fight, hit tab and just sit there and calmly sift through plot points, rearrange things, reveal certain elements that weren't there before and then go back to the exact instant you 
disappeared at. I mean, that seems like a useful skill in real life. Why would Alan not just write and then I get out and everything is good. Ah, that is very... Okay, so he's trapped in a horror story. And what he's realised is he has to actually use the elements that are already in the story, right? So from his place in the dark place, he can tinker with and affect reality because that's what the dark place does. Everything in there bleeds out and changes the world around it. And he realises, hey, I'm, I'm a writer. So why don't I just make edits and tinker with things to help massage the plot? And then uh, like he's tried getting out many, many times, but he can't because in a horror story, the good guy just doesn't escape. So he has to do it within the confines of the genre. So it also becomes a story about how stupid horror writing is, if that makes sense. Okay, that's fun. So it's sort of like Stranger Things in that he's in the Upside Down and he can yeah. change stuff there. Mm -hmm. You know, he's still bound by the... I was going to say laws of physics, but he's kind of not. Laws of narrative. Yeah. And trope. The genre, tropes and conventions and whatnot, right? So let's say you're... Have you ever had a lucid dream, Brad? Just to pivot? I have. I think the only kind of lucid dreams that I have are the ones where I'm flying, but I'm flying very slowly. Sure. The ones where, you know, you're like swimming in the air frantically. Yeah. But you can't really speed up. That's as lucid as it gets for me. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty lucid. It's like, and that's like a sensible speed to fly, by the way. I think that's very prudent of you. <laughs> yeah. I actually have a friend who apparently can full on lucid dream and he can change pretty much anything that he wants and he finds it very therapeutic. Yeah. I went to a sleep clinic for a while at my university because I was lucid dreaming so much that I had trouble discerning between dreams and reality. This is not a joke. I almost had a breakdown. It was very intense. I literally would wake up in the morning and my dream life and real life had become so flush with each other that I was starting to lose it a little bit. So I had to go to this clinic and like do a reset basically. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's scary. Do you still lucid dream? No, I've tried. It's difficult because the trick to lucid dreaming is you need to start becoming aware that you're in a dream. By the way, lucid dreaming is when you know you're in a dream and you can control the dream. What you're meant to do is start keeping a dream journal and as time goes on, your brain will get used to remembering the contours of your dream architecture or whatever, right? But the thing that makes lucid dreaming stop is when you do something that seems you can't take the piss basically it's almost like you don't want to look directly at it you want to kind of exist within the confines of the dream you can't break the logic of the dream otherwise your brain goes ah it's a dream and you kind of come out too fast and you wake up so that's what it's like for alan he has to keep it sort of below a certain level he can't just write and then i flew through the sky and appeared in the real world he has to do it so that the dream doesn't notice. And that's exactly what it is like in the game as well. How do they communicate that to you? Alan is narrating his experiences. And because he's a genre author, he's narrating like a kind of film noir detective the whole time. So he's, he literally is talking in third person about the adventures he's having and explaining them in a way that is, it's a really, it's really great because he's aware that the genre is hack. And there's constant kind of underlying mentions of the fact that he wishes his art was taken more seriously. But the thing he's most known for is this stupid series of schlocky horror stories or detective novels. And so he hates the things that he's best known for, which is, look, as a creative, it's very tempting to be sort of bitter about that one thing that took off that wasn't really your best work, right? If you were trapped in your most successful piece of work, Rad... Uh, what would that piece of work be and would you be enjoying the process? How do we define successful? Yeah, commercially? Like monetarily, critically? Oh, I mean, I work primarily for the ABC or have done mm. and commercially uh, <laughs> successful is kind of not necessarily in the remit of the work. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say. Also, I have an absolutely terrible memory 
Paul knows this. Yep, yep. Paul knows this, uh, but for our listeners, I have a Swiss cheese brain. Do you ever get concerned that maybe we've been talking in circles and that, you know, we've had this conversation before? I can't remember most things that I've done. Mm -hmm. Paul will tell me stories that he's already told me multiple times. I will tell stories to him and he'll be like, yeah, I know. You, we spoke about this yesterday. <laughs> um, so I actually can't recall most of the work I've done. Do you ever get concerned that maybe we've been talking in circles and that, you know, we've had this conversation before? My short term memory, quite good, okay. which makes me really quite good at my job. Mm. So I can learn lines uh, really, really well. Yep. I can pay attention to the conversation that we're having and hold pretty much all of the information um, and, you know, know where to take things. But if you're talking to me about something that happened a week ago, yep. I I barely know. Does that ever become a problem for you? Yes. Yes. Mm. Constantly. It is a huge problem. Yeah. I have worked with people for like three weeks mm. and then I see them two months later and I barely have a memory of them. You share quite a bit in common with Alan, actually, because as I mentioned last episode, <laughs> so uh, so Alan doesn't remember the- You're thing. also trapped in the darkness. <laughs> you might be trapped in the dark place, yes. But the dark place is weird because it actually, Alan is stuck in a loop and he doesn't remember what he did in previous loops. And he's walking around this version of New York City and there's graffiti on the walls that he wrote that he has no memory of writing. And it's all along the same kind of tonal lines. You're doomed, stop writing, find Alice, basic- commands that he's left for his future self because he knows he'll forget. I think it's pretty shitty of his past self to write You're Doomed. And also in a font that is quite aggressive. I mean, if it was in like a nice, <laughs> calming, pleasing cursive. Like, Alan, love yourself. Try to help yourself rather than put yourself down. That's the dark. I mean, the dark place really is sort of a clumsy metaphor. Imagine walking around in your clumsiest metaphors and your most hack work. God, that would torture me so badly. <laughs> the, 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 what's nice is, though, for Sam Lake and Cover at Remedy... They are having people walk around in their best work. I mean, I think this is potentially Remedies. It's the best thing they've done. I love Stephen King. And what I've really enjoyed about the game is Alan Wake is basically a young Stephen King. He's a complex creative who has a weird relationship with his own work. He's got addiction issues and he just wants to make his art. He just wants to tell stories. And he's a complex guy and he's not built for the industry he's in. And a lot of people in the arts aren't. They just want to make stuff. They don't like the press, the interviews. And this is sort of a meta story about the sequel that everyone wants that might kill you. The follow-up to the ultimate story. And also it's a story about how do you end a story? There was a point where Stephen King was really struggling with addiction and didn't like what he did. And he passed through this sort of weird like membrane, uh, figuratively, not literally, where he went... <laughs> Uh, you don't know. Uh, it, honestly, nothing would surprise me. He basically said, this is who I am. This is what I make. I need to come to terms with it. And maybe I can inject some of the artistry that I've been longing to impart upon my work into this schlock and people will enjoy it more. And maybe if I'm an addict, I need to actually rely on other people. And it's amazing watching a game where Alan is going through the exact same thing. And it's, you know, because you don't have to shoulder these burdens. You Fighting your inner demons is heroic and it can be done. And whether it's addiction or creative purgatory or depression or like a really bad haircut, <laughs> Alan Wake 2 is a story about so many things, but I finished it at 150 and I felt emotionally like winded, but I've woken up feeling really like I went through a prolonged therapy session. And I think if that's not a ringing endorsement, I don't know what is. It sounds like it's also an artistically interesting game mm. that pushes the boundaries of games and is one that might be worthwhile playing just for that. Although 
as someone who is a huge scaredy cat, I'm very, very, very bad with scary things. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's the type of thing that I would be able to get through anyway? So Alan's hallucinating pretty badly, and so is Saga. And the way those hallucinations are imparted are sometimes some of the most just like brain shitting jump scares I've ever had in my life. Yeah, I screamed a few times. I screamed quite a few times. Honestly, it's more existentially scary than it is jump scary. Okay, so if I don't have emotions, I'll be fine. Look, if you're a bit of a robot, you should be okay. If big concepts about mortality and creative failure don't scare you. (laughs) I mind you, like, creative failure doesn't elicit a jump scare. It elicits a long, sad decline into something far darker. (laughs) But a a jump scare is a... You're on a roller coaster, you're not confronted with standees of you're not good enough, right? Okay, so Alan Wake, fantastic game, but one to play when you're not already in the throes of depression and inadequacy. Yeah, if you're already sad, please avoid Alan Wake too. And you know what? Sometimes a sad song when you're feeling sad is great, but if you're having a bad week, (laughs) just give this one a gentle sidestep, please. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Now, Paul, speaking about your gaming time, I went to your house for the first time recently and I saw your gaming setup. I saw the desk that you're currently sitting at. Yeah. Bro, why? This thing is like, this thing is like forty centimeters deep. Yeah, it's a very, very skinny desk. He's Mm. got a laptop on it that's balanced on top of what appeared to be a book. How did you? Hang on. How much of a like recce did you do? I mean, I know you stayed in my guest room, but did you like lift things up and? Oh, I guess it's a glass. Not at all. Not at all. I'm just very observant. Yes, sure. I have a 40 centimeter deep glass desk that I was given years ago with a, yeah, I've got a book. What book is it? It's a copy of, it's the second Dune book. It's sitting there boiling under the, (laughs) as the fans of my laptop sort of cook it slowly. It's super duper awful. It looks incredibly uncomfortable. (laughs) And now I just imagine Paul, who's a tall guy. Yeah. He's like, you're over six foot. Six two, baby. Yeah. He's a tall guy. I just imagine him as this like giant troll hunched over a tiny desk, (laughs) all disgusting and bent out of shape. It makes me very sad. Especially when I am someone who values a good desk, a a beautiful Mm. desk, something that's ergonomic, that's at least deep enough to fit a laptop without it hanging off the edge. So in the words of a 90s R&B band whose name I can't recall, how deep is your desk? (laughs) 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 My my desk is a respectable 75 centimetres deep, which I think is the right depth for a desk i've had uh i've had 80 centimeters before which i think is maybe a bit too deep and i've had 60 which is too shallow but 40 is just (laughs) awful so i've got the omni desk ascent uh which is a standing desk as well in fact because i went through a period of time where i got obsessed with the idea that a standing desk may fix my headaches and did it no (laughs) 
I went through a similar phase as well, and uh, I, I came up empty-handed, sadly. Yeah, look, Paul and I both have um, massive headache issues to the point where I we both dream about getting Botox injected into the back <laughs> of our necks to hopefully just take the pain away. You will do it. I think they have like a like a couple's discount if we just <laughs> get this done together. If Botox wants to sponsor this podcast, then please numb us up now. If someone wants to sell me Botox needles on the black market, or even just come on over Ooh. and no, I. I'm just kidding. That's too dangerous. But when the headaches are that bad, you do get desperate. So I was looking into standing desks. And this is also a story about how obsessive I am because I went ahead and made what has now become a slightly infamous spreadsheet about most of the standing desks that are available within Australia. Hmm. Okay. What's at the bottom, by the way? What, like, what's in the what's in the toilet? Oh, I have to pull it up. I'm assuming when you say standing desk, you mean like a fully loaded out sort of like a transformer style winchy kind of deal. Oh yes. Okay. So this is the other thing about me. I'm a high end lady. She's worth it. I'm a lady of luxury. I almost always go for the top thing I will save up to to get it because nothing shits me off more than something that was already expensive, already cost a lot of money because tech costs money, mm. but then doesn't hit the mark. So the bottom of the barrel, in my opinion, would probably be the Ikea desks. While they are cheaper, they're not cheap enough to justify the issues uh, that they have. The frame doesn't seem as sturdy. They don't have as high a load capacity. Their height range mm-hmm. isn't quite as good. Things like that. Also, the Officeworks one. No, I changed my answer. The Officeworks one is the bottom of the barrel. That thing looks shit. <laughs> so, well, and, and with Officeworks, you don't even get an umlaut. Like, what's the what's the IKEA standing desk called? What, what charming name have they given this thing? Edison. Edison. Yeah, doesn't even sound cute. <laughs> I think if you are a uh, if you're a Swede on a budget, it's probably fine. But I'm not a Swede on a budget. I'm a lady of luxury. And so I've actually got two standing desks. I've got uh, the Up Down Desk Pro and the OmniDesk Ascent. Are you? Hang on, are you using one right now? Yeah. But you're not standing. Because they go up and down. Oh, hence the name, I see. Yeah. When I'm talking stand... See, here's the thing. You're not supposed to stand all the time. Standing desks are about sitting and standing because it's about movement. You don't want to be oh. in one position all the time. So it's like a, it's they're, they're the cookies of furniture. It's a sometimes food, right? What? Cookies are a sometimes food, Rad. This is not the same. That's a terrible analogy. It's better than what? Yeah, all right, fine. Okay, so <laughs> how many hours a day out of a working day should you be standing at your standing desk? Oh, I don't know. I don't have those stats. Okay. It's just about moving. It's just about the fact that like you should stand for a bit and then sit for a bit. The same way that you're supposed to exercise yeah. your eyes by not staring at the screen all the time. You're supposed to look far into the distance for like, what do they say? Two minutes every 20 minutes or something like that. Oh my God, are you really? Does, oh, yeah. Oh no. At least a little bit. At least a little bit. Does distance count if it's distance... Like, let's say I'm, and this is a, oh, I sound so stupid. Are you about to say if you look at a picture on your screen of something that's like far away? Yes. That does not count. That absolutely does not count. You're supposed to look out a window. What if it's a window? <laughs> We're all learning something today, folks. Paul. Yeah. Paul. A couple of things I don't know. I don't know how gyroscopes work. I don't know how windows work. <laughs> and I don't know how eyeballs work. But I would like to keep finding out how standing desks work. So this thing has two motors in each of the legs. And then mm-hmm. it's got a little control panel. And you press it to make it motorized go up and down. Mm-hmm. And Paul, I love this desk. So from my spreadsheet, the up-down <laughs> came out on top. Okay. Because it is 
it's like on raw data, it's the best one. It has the highest load capacity, which was important for me because I was like, I don't want this thing to be wobbly when it's at mm. full height. Mm-hmm. It's really adjustable. The supported length is basically the widest that you can get. It can go the skinniest and the widest that you can get pretty much. So, and it's got a 10 year warranty on the legs. And the OmniDesk was kind of like up there, but it wasn't just stats wise at the top. But mm-hmm. OmniDesk got in contact with me when I reviewed the other desk and they were like, hey man, you have to try out our stuff. Like we back it, we believe in it. And I was like, all right, bet, send it on over. And this desk, I reckon takes the cake for me just in terms of like little quality of life stuff. And that's the stuff that you kind of can't know about just from looking at a spec sheet. That's the kind of stuff that you only learn from using it. Mm. So for example, it uses a lock system for setup that is really, really, really good. So the up-down desk was a pain in the ass to set up. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, but holy shit. I was sweating and swearing putting this thing together. It made me so angry. Gotcha. But the OmniDesk was far, far easier because I think it's like a toolless setup. It just like clicks into place. And it's also got inbuilt cable management kind of magnet holders underneath as well. So everything's nice and neat. It feels really good. Good cable management. Amazing. It's got inset threads in the desk so you know exactly where to put the bolts to attach the tabletop to the legs, which the up-down didn't, and it almost killed me. I was I was like nudging this thing by like millimeters to try and get it perfect because I'm super duper anal. And then you had to drill in to the wood yourself. Oh. Uh, and it was hard wood. And that also kind of feels bad to me. Like I kind of don't like drilling into stuff because it's too much change. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. So just setup wise, even that had me McLoving this thing. Do you think I should get one is a very serious question because you're describing this and making it sound like a goddamn Rolls Royce. If I get one, will it improve my quality of life? And will it outstrip the Glassmaster 40 centimeter model, which I'm currently <laughs> using right now? Honestly, almost anything would be better than the desk that you're currently using. Yeah. But I am so happy with this desk. I think that it works really, really well. The little kind of on paper differences in terms of like spec mm-hmm. between this and the up down I don't feel in lived experience. They don't really come into play with how I use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other little quality of life things really, really do. So that setup was a hundred times easier. The cable management is really, really nice. It moves faster than the up down, uh, which wasn't really like a huge factor for me when I was looking at them. I didn't really care how fast it moves, but it is nice. And it's got like a little cutout insert in the middle to run cables sort of through the desk, if that makes sense, Yeah. which is just a little bit neater. The only thing I would say is if you're getting a tabletop directly from OmniDesk, absolutely do not get the heavier ones. What do you mean? Heavier is a particular type of wood and it's like a laminate. I thought you were mispronouncing heavier. I was being really sweet. Oh, (laughs) No. You know how some people have those words they pronounce oddly and you're like, I'm just going to let that one slide. I originally got that desktop in the 183 centimeter, which Mm. is a big desk. Yeah. And it's just, it's too thin and it's like a laminate and it had a bit too much kind of give in the middle, which I, oh, I'm not about that. Speaking of give in the middle, I think my, honestly, my my Glassmaster is about to give way. This thing's going to shatter any second. Why is it going to shatter? Well, because it's honestly, like, I think the fans on my laptop are heating the glass. It's actually glowing and... Yep, there it goes. (laughs) Right. So should I get 
one of these desks. If you were looking to get a standing desk, I would absolutely recommend it. Um, I really, really love it. It also is like really nice and sleek. At the same time, there are other standing desks available and like at their core, they're all very, mm-hmm. very similar. But if you are already looking for a standing desk, I do think that the OmniDesk is a really great option. And price-wise, they were positioned pretty well. And you have a couple of different options for tabletops. I've got the pheasant wood, which I can't see on their website anymore for some reason, but it's got a little bit of a live mm. edge to it, which I also really love because it's more rounded and I sit with my knees up against the desk in the fetal position a lot. So having that more rounded edge is very nice for me, which the Hevia was too pointy, too pointy for that kind of sitting. I would kill to see this spreadsheet. I will not judge you, I will admire it, but I would love to see this spreadsheet because honestly, it seems like OmniDesk probably saw it as well and went, (laughs) she's the perfect person. I have posted this spreadsheet online multiple times, but I I will, uh, I'll send it to you as well. (laughs) But it's a little bit old now because I did this research like many, many moons ago and I've been using this desk for, oh, maybe like six months and it has held up fantastically. I think my only gripe with this tabletop is the fact that the finish kind of uh, gets nicked a little bit easily, easily, but it is solid wood. So if I really badly wanted to, I could sand it back and refinish it, but it's, it's not a huge deal. Speaking of finish, we should probably finish this episode. It's been an absolutely... Oh! Sit- oh, 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 oh. Who needs uh, air horn sound effects? Oh, 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 oh. Do you remember the grape lady? The grape lady? The grape lady. See, I, I love her. Uh, in fact, if you listen very carefully, you can still hear her screams. There she goes. That's, that's a tragedy. I hope she's okay. Actually, you know what? I hope she's okay. I really do hope she's okay. Uh, well. Why did you say actually? Oh, like before I didn't care and then it occurred to me in that moment to yeah. care? Yeah. Well, I just thought we all had a good laugh. We all, folks, we all had a good laugh. But I think we can all agree that there's nothing funny about falling out of a vat of grapes. <coughs> unless it sounds like this. Anyway, we were talking desks, but I'm going to have to table this discussion. Thank you so much for listening to another no! wonderful... <laughs> oh my God, there's a gas leak in here. It's been another action-packed episode of Game for Anything. Thank you so much for listening. And an extra special thank you again to Austin Wintery, who composed our theme song. Make sure you follow us on the socials. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us a rating and a review because it's the right thing to do. We'll see you next time for more Game for Anything. Bye, folks. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.